Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for today. We ask you, Lord, that you would come into this place, Lord, that you would fill our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would do a new thing, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins, Lord, and help us to repent of of our sins, Lord. Clean, cleanse our hearts and so that we can open our hearts to you and open our ears to you. Unclog them, Lord. Be with me as I preach your word, Lord. I do not deserve to be up here. I do not deserve to preach your holy word, Lord. But Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done so that I can stand up here, Lord, and preach. Use me. Allow me to be a mouthpiece for your word. Help me to decrease so that, so that, help me to decrease so that you may increase. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So, for like, what, a couple of weeks we've been, uh, um, doing a little sermon series through our vision. And what's the vision is up, yep, the vision is make disciples who do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. I, I told Pastor JP, I love this because what, what, I had one pastor in Baltimore who would always preach on the vision of the church at the beginning of the year. And it really helped put the church in perspective. It, I, it, was, it was really great. So we're going through our sermon series, and we spoke about justice. Now we're going to talk about love, kindness. But before I do, I remember, it always seems like we got a Baltimore story, right? Every time I preach, there's always a story about Baltimore. It was never a dull moment. But before that, when I was living in Tennessee, I was part of a church where the parents did not want the kids who lived in the neighborhood with the kids who are part of the church. We, we don't want them to corrupt our kids. They need to, we, you need to figure out an, a, a separate alternative to love them. When I was in Baltimore, again, another sort of Baltimore, when I was in Baltimore, when I first got there, I, I, I joined Young Life. That's how I met Latifia, through Young Life. So Young Life is in our blood. And they did sort of a, 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 a non-conventional way of young life. They, they had mentors. And one mentor was mentoring a young man named James, who, who was part of our youth ministry and Latifia taught. And James did not have a father or a mother. He was living with his grandmother. And I believe his grandmother was, was an addict. And so it was him and his sister. And, and they, were, and, and they were sort of raising themselves. And James had a mentor. And I remember the mentor saying, I don't want to help James anymore until his family gets it together. That's how I will love him. Get it together. And I was like, but you're expecting him to change without the Lord? He said, yeah, but that family should have common sense. That was how 
he showed his love kindness. The principal of the school that Latifia worked at, and the Lord got to work on me, man, but because of that one conversation like 12 years ago, I don't like her. I, I, I'm, is this something the Lord got to work on me? Because I just, but anyway, she was saying, let me give the scenario. Within Sandtown, where we were, there was the inner city, and within the inner city, there were the projects. There were government housing within it, and the children who were part of the projects were part of our youth ministry. And what this woman told me was, the principal, leave those project kids alone. They do not belong in your youth ministry. The only kids that need to be part of our school are the kids who are not part of the projects. And why would you want them in your, in your youth group anyway? They're stealing from you. And I told her, don't we take the baggage along? Yeah, but they're not worth it. Now you know why I don't like her, right? That's how she showed her love, kindness. Apparently, they weren't worth love kindness, or what we'll find out, steadfast love. There are, I'm sure that there are many stories that you have of how us as Christians and believers have shown love kindness in the way that is sort of weird. we'll deal more with why these people decided to treat other people like that a little bit later. But by the end of this sermon, I want you all to know that you can persevere. You can persevere, that you can change, that there is a change through the steadfast love of God. And we're going to look at three ways we can do it. I always got three points, right? Sometimes two. So let's look at these points. Embrace God's meaning of steadfast love. Embrace God's steadfast love. And let others embrace God's steadfast love. Let's look at the first point. If you could pull up Micah 6.8. So Micah 6.8, he told... He, he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you or command of you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? But we don't talk like that. We don't say, hey man, your love and kindness is good today. We don't, we don't talk like that. So, so the, the, this word is from the Hebrew word called hesed. And the easy way to understand what hesed basically means is steadfast love. That's all it is, is to show steadfast love. That's love kindness. But what is steadfast love according to God's words? What is it? So let's, we're going we're gonna to be in Exodus most of, the, most of the sermon. We're going to look at some other scriptures. So if you want to write it down, you can, or get a copy of the sermon. If you want to remember, I'll tell you. But we're going to look at a few scriptures. But we're going to mainly be in Exodus. So... Let's look at Exodus 19, 4 through 6. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm not, I'm not going to read it probably at all, but I'm going to give you context of this text. 
So during this time in Exodus, the, the Israelites have, leave, uh, have left Egypt and God has now wanting to make a covenant with Israel. But I want you to hear, hear this because, because look at what it said. Go to verse 5. Go, go to verse 5. It says here in verse 5, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, ye shall be treasured possessions among all people, for all the earth is mine. I want you to understand this. God and already, his intention was to make a covenant with Israel even before it was official. Though God is not obligated, he already in eternity had in his mind that he would show steadfast love or love kindness, not based on the regulations of the covenant, but, accord, but on his own accord. So steadfast love is, one thing we know is that it's eternal. It, it, it happens before us, before the covenant. So the covenant, I want you to understand, the covenant reflects the steadfast love of God. Why? Because what, because what is a covenant? I mean, for those who don't know, a covenant is an agreement between two or more parties. And it's very serious. So Israel and God both promised to be faithful to each other by upholding the covenant. It was so serious that if you read in Exodus, Moses literally sprinkled blood on Israel. Sprinkled blood on them. Who would imagine standing there, uh, 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 blood, uh, okay, that got in my mouth. Uh, that's how serious the covenant was. Blood being sprayed on you, and you got to go take a shower. Now, and you probably in the shower. Now, all that wasn't necessary. All that wasn't necessary. But that's how serious the covenant was. It was signed in blood. And they both promised to do it. But the story doesn't end there. About a, one second after the covenant is agreed upon, Israel breaks it. Israel breaks it. Look at Exodus 32. Go up Exodus 32. And it says in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, make said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for Moses, this man who brought us out of the land, we don't know what has become of him. Israel's love for God is not the same. Their steadfast love is conditional. You see, God was taking too long with Moses, keeping up, up on a mountain, and they wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sort of sounds like us. We are some impatient people. How many of y'all cook something and you stand by the microwave? It's only been enough for 30 seconds. It's coming. When God doesn't move or do what we want when we want, we are quick to question his intentions and most of all his reliance. The Israelites only embrace the meaning of God's steadfast love according to their idolatrous standard. Now how do we know this? If you go to verse 5, look at verse 5. 
It said this, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, how do I know that the Israelites will only embrace God's steadfast love that's according to their standard? Well, because this word Lord that Aaron uses in this scripture is translated Yahweh, the actual name of God. He is saying that this golden statue that they made, this is the actual God of the universe. This is what steadfast love looks like, and this is what we want. That's what God is. We do that a lot, right? We make God what we want to make God. This is who they wanted God to be. Israel's steadfast love is conditional. It's faithless, limited, and transactional. So Israel breaks the covenant, and God wants justice. You can imagine you going buck wild, having a party in front of an idol, and Moses shows up. You know how you had a party, and the lights are on, off, and your mama caught on the lights? And you'd be like, oh, hey, mom. That's what Moses did. He cut in the lights. So you can imagine Israel is scared because God is like, I'm about to cut everybody down. I'm about to destroy everybody. I'm mad. I'm upset, right? It's only fair. God wants justice. God wants to consume them. They broke the covenant. Remember when they got sprinkled with blood? Remember that? God's like, this ain't no game, man. I got to destroy you all now. You can imagine the fear, the fear of Israel sitting there waiting to die by a God who's going to give them all the wrath that they deserve. Can you imagine that? But Moses, Moses comes and intercedes for Israel, and he pleads with the Lord, and, and God turns away his wrath to Israel. And, and we're going to speak more in detail about this in our second point, but this is the place where Moses proclaims the attributes of God. Now, let me say this. These attributes of God describe who he is. That's important. It is who he is. He's not working on these things. He doesn't have a life coach. You know, they're not a skill. He didn't major in attributeology at the HBCU he went to. You know, it's not a, y'all don't know God went to an HBCU? I'm just kidding. It's not a talent. He's not trying, he's, it's not one attribute is higher than the other. He doesn't have a closet of feelings. It's all perfect and it, it is who he is. Let's look at Exodus 34, six through seven. The Bible says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity of transgressions of sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So one thing we get from his steadfast love is that it's binding. His steadfast love is faithful. No matter what, it's faithful. God doesn't stop. It's gracious. 
It's merciful and it's good. Now remember, if you were there and God decided to spare you, no, and, you and guess what? He knows you're part of the covenant. That blood-stained clothes is in the dirty laundry. He knows you were there. So you know when God spares you, you can be like, oh my gosh, he still loves me. He still wants me to grow. He still wants to take care of me. I don't know about y'all. I don't know about y'all. But when I think of my sinfulness on a daily, this is good because I need it. I need that, what God has. I need what God is. Do you need that today? If you say, I'm good, I'm going to look to your face and say, you lying. The meaning of God's steadfast love is something that we need to know is absolute and something we need to embrace. A way to recognize true steadfast love are better seen in the results. For example, all the results based on my agenda or God's agenda. Pull up this uh, picture of uh, Chris Rock. So there's a Netflix stand-up of Chris Rock called Tambourine. It came out about three or four years, three or five years ago probably. I love this stand-up. I, I mean, if you like Chris Rock, you like Chris Rock. I mean, it, it, it's stand-up, so there's going to be cursing, whatever. Uh, you know, if, I don't condone it, but it's Chris Rock. But he, his, his Netflix series is called Tambourine. And I don't know about y'all, but when I saw this, it almost broke my heart. This dude confesses how uh, his sins, and, and I mean, this dude was one step to saying, I need Christ. He was one step. And I love it because what he says at the end is that in marriage, sometimes we want to be the drummer. Uh, uh, uh. Sometimes we want to be the, the guitarist. We want to be the soloist. But sometimes you're called to be at the back and play the tambourine. Man, it was deep, right? So one thing he said, this is what he says, go to the quote. He says, only women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. Okay, he said, only women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. This is, and this is what he goes on, he says, a man is only loved under the condition that he provides something. It was funny, right? And he, and he says, wait, everybody was kind of quiet. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He goes on and he says, this is what he says. Now think about it. He says, fellas, when you meet a new girl, what do your friends ask you? What does she look like? Am I wrong? What does she look like? Right? And he goes and he says, he says, ladies, when you meet a new guy, what do you ask your, what do your friends ask you? What does he do? Am I lying? That was funny, right? Of course, I don't completely agree with Chris Rock. But what I do agree is that the meaning of love that we rather or intend or, or tend to embrace are never unconditional or steadfast. It never is. There is always something that we love that is, a condi that is conditioned. And this is because of sin. We love to mask our sin by dropping words like steadfast love or I love you, you know. But outside of God, it is really unfaithful. 
condemning, especially when something doesn't go our way. The actions of the Israelites prove and teach us that we need to, not, we need to only embrace God's meaning of steadfast love. Because it is, the, it is the only thing that can save us from our sinfulness by preserving and changing us for our redemption. Otherwise, we create a perversion of God's steadfast love. And that perversion will reflect how we treat others. Like I mentioned in the introduction, that, create, that creates standards that doesn't result as seeing God as steadfast love, but could result as seeing him as a tyrant, a bully, unreliable, uninvolved, unre, un, and, un, and, and, and not invested. That's how we see God if we decide to put God in our categories of what we think love is, steadfast love. So we first must embrace the meaning of God's steadfast love, his love kindness. Then we can begin to understand that his steadfast love helps us, again, preserves, helps us to persevere and change for the purpose of God's redemption. You're going to hear that a lot through the sermon. So let's go to our next point. We embrace God's steadfast love. Let's look at Exodus 34 through 7. I'm sorry, Exodus 34, 7. I, this text has always been familiar to me. Growing up in the Amy Church, we would say this uh, when we, was, we would go through the, the Ten Commandments. But for years, I never understood it until now. And what it is saying is that the guilt that they did that day, the guilt of their sins will affect their third and fourth generation. It will affect their children's children. But the steadfast love will affect thousands of generations. God's steadfast love is greater than their guilt and sins. And instead of the penalty of sin, they receive steadfast love instead of judgment. And this goes on for thousands of generations, the steadfast love, because you might feel the guilt but not the penalty. So what you're really feeling is the steadfast love of God. It's greater. One thing that is important is that God in his nature is immutable, meaning he doesn't change. The Bible says, I am God, I change not. But many people use this text as evidence that God does change. Uh-oh, God does change. Think about it. He said he would do something and he changes his mind, right? He said, like he spares him. Now, this is important. You see, he didn't change his mind because he has to be in line with the covenant. He put himself under obligation of the covenant, so he has to be in line. He only transferred the penalty of sin to another person. The only thing that seems to change experientially is our response. So we feel the change with us, not with God. We respond to that by change. And then this next text that we're going to look at, it shows us the truest and purest form of God's steadfast love. Let's look at it. Exodus 33, 18 through 23. We're not going to, 
I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to explain it. It's really good. I really love this. It's one of my favorite um, texts in the Bible. And so after God told Moses, okay, I'm not going to consume you, Moses asked God if he could see his glory. Okay? Growing up, I was not allowed in my parents' room. I don't know about y'all. I was not allowed in my parents' room. Chelsea looking at me like it's weird. I, I wasn't. If I went to my parents' room, I would get in trouble. Moses is asking God if he can come into his room by seeing his glory. So God said, okay, I'm going to take you in a place of a mountain where there's a cleft where you can hide behind a mountain. So Moses is like in the in part of a mountain where he can sort of see. And God tells him, I'm going to pass all my goodness. All of who I am, I will pass in front of you, Moses. You will, you will not see my face. When I run by you, I will cover your face, but you will see my back. Man, look, if I just get a chance to see God's back, I'm okay, man. If I could just see the breath, it's almost like a celebrity, right? That's him. You got the back of his head. Remember that what happened in my movie Barbershop? When, uh, what's his name, was like, yeah, man, that, that's uh, Obama, somebody, and at the back of his head. Man, look, if I can just get the back of, the, back of the God's head and say, that's God, I'm all right. If I could just see his back, I'm good, right? So I want you to really understand this. God tells Moses, nobody can look at my face and live. So God says, I'm going to pass by and cover your face, you'll see my back. But I want you to hear this, God's face represents judgment and his back is his grace. You deserve to see my face because you're sinful. But I'm going to let you see my back because I love you and I'm going to show you my grace. And that's what he does. And so Moses represents Israel here. Instead of judgment, they receive grace. But Moses also represents Christ. His he is a reflection of Jesus. He, he interceded for Israel, but truly couldn't intercede because he's just Moses. We'll come back to that later. But Jesus himself, Jesus didn't get God's back. He got his face. He got everything. The transfer of the penalty of sin went from Israel to Jesus. That's where it went. The penalty of sins for Israel, for you, me, for everyone. But what does that have to do with steadfast love? I said all that. So what? God passed by Moses. I, actually, that's kind of dope. That's kind of cool, right? We get crazy when a celebrity walks by us. But God, what do I got to do with steadfast love? All that. All that imagery. The rock and, and, and Jesus running and all that. God's steadfast love is so good that he is willing to give up his only son so that through that steadfast love we can be we can be preserved that we can persevere and be changed for the purpose of God's redemption instead of you getting the penalty of sin you get his steadfast love while his son got the penalty of sin because he loves you that much He's that faithful. He's that good. Lamentations 3 says, the 22 through 23, it says, the steadfast love of 
the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is never stopping his steadfast love. He's that cousin that always shows up at your door just to love you. You know, my wife gets mad at me because I watch reruns of Family Matters, right? She, she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, no, I'm not watching this today. And I said, you need to learn why Family Matters. I, I tease all the time. God is Steve Urkel, always showing up. Howdy ho, guys. I'm, I'm here because I love you. Laura, I love you. He's always, the, he, and it's new every day. God's mercies and his love is new every day. Steadfast love never stops, never stops, never stops. You can push God away, and he's like, my love is too great. I'm too strong for you to push me away. You ain't strong, my love is stronger. You can't push God out the door. You can't tell him to leave. You ain't strong enough. Today you are being made more and more like Christ because of that steadfast love of God. And again, it never stops, never ends. It's always fresh and it's changing you every day. So embrace it. Embrace it. When I was called, I was about 18. And I always knew I was, I always knew I was called for most of my life. But I, but I felt called to youth ministry for years. And when I lived in Baltimore, I felt a, a tug to pursue the pastorate. And when I moved to Charlotte, the tug of the Holy Spirit was even greater. And so I prayed about the pursuit. And I told the Lord, I will do whatever you want, but I gotta go back to seminary. And seminary is expensive. For me to finish seminary in Charlotte would have been $35,000. And I'm like, Lord, I ain't got that money. I ain't got no money like that. I said, Lord, if it's your will, you provide it. You provide it. Let me know if this is what you want me to do. So at that time that Latifi and I were, in, were at a church that was not preaching the gospel. So whenever I preached, I felt like no one was listening. But apparently somebody was. I got an email from this weird guy of the church. I didn't know who he was, named Scott Cursell. I'm like, I don't know no Scott. I don't know who that is. And he wanted to meet me at a coffee shop. I'm like, uh-oh, brother probably trying to take me out. I don't know. You know, so, and he wanted to, he said, I wanted to come. I wanted to talk ministry. I want to, I've never met him before. I've never even seen him at the church. I've been there for what, a couple of years, and I've never even seen him. But he wanted, but he knew me. When we sat and talked, he, at, at, when we sat and talked, Scott reluctantly and discreetly admitted that, that our church hasn't been preaching the gospel in years, and that I was basically the first. He admitted that he was listening and that he heard the passion in his preaching and it reminded him of his time he gave his life to the Lord. He told me how he volunteered with several youth events and ministries where he and other students began being changed and saved by the gospel. And the more he spoke about it, the more passion grew in his voice. And he said to me, Joel, do you feel like you're called to pastor it? Do you wanna go back to seminary? I said, yeah, I do. 
I told him, I feel like the Lord is tugging me. He said, he looked at me and said, what if I were to give you $10,000 for seminary and $5,000 towards the youth budget? Will that help? I said, oh yeah, that will help. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, but look, I've worked with many churches and many social organizations for a while, and no one will give you a dollar without a very, very thick string attached to it. I said, Scott, let's be real, man. That's a lot of ducats. That's a lot of cheese. That's a lot of cheese, right? I said, you hardly know me. I said, what's your angle, bro? I'm, I'm, I'm acting like I was, you know, in some negotiation, right? I'm like, what's your angle, man? I was really honest. He, he looked at me and he said, I'm going to be honest. Looked at me in the eyes and said, the string is that you have to promise that you always preach the gospel. That is the only thing. Preach the gospel with steadfast love. You see, he believed that, that the steadfast love of God must be embraced if we want to see change. And he was willing to give a chunk of his money to someone he hardly knew because he embraced the steadfast love of God. Do we really embrace the steadfast love of God? I mean, really think about it. Do we really believe that we are actually being changed, that Orangeburg is being changed? Do we believe that others are being changed? Or do we put our hope of change into temporary things? Now think about it. Something is happening. Let's, let me be real. Let me, be, let me just be real. I was afraid to say this because I don't know what, what would happen to me if I say this, but why are you here? I'm talking about here today in Orangeburg. What, um, let's be real. COVID has hurt the growth of our church, and it is hard. It does not help. It created a generation of people who don't want to be part of a church. There is literally a poll out there of people who believe they don't need the church anymore. They need to go. They don't need to go here. I can just get up and go online and watch it. It actually has creating people to reject the church. And guess what? We're still dealing with it. We got masks on. There are people who are here and who are not here. Let me be honest. We feel that, right? We feel that tension. We get afraid. Be, let's be real. Sometimes we wake up ready for church and we say to ourselves, I wonder who's going to show up today. I wonder who's going to be here. I don't know if you ever feel that way. I know I do sometimes. But you could have left a long time ago. But you keep coming back here. You could have been part of a church that affirms you, your blackness, your whiteness, your political view, your agenda. You could have been there. You could have been in a place that has better people, right? People who might have more money, people who are more your age, people who are relevant. You could have been there, but you keep coming back here. Why do you keep serving when you're the only one? When you feel like you're the one who probably has to buy the coffee, who has to set up, who has to come here early. Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep singing? Why do you keep playing the piano? Why, why, why are we doing this? When you feel like maybe no one is listening or no one is responding, why do we continue to love people who seem like they always just take, take, and take, and take? 
but yet you take out your wallet. Why? You know that people, and you know, we know in our hearts of hearts that they might not ever change. Why? Why do we give money and buy things for the church without truly knowing the fruition of the investment? I'll be real, do you know how hard it is for Latifah and I to get up Sunday mornings and get three children ready? Ironing clothes, running around trying to find socks. I'm laying on the ground in a pile of clean clothes digging for socks. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, right? Ironing clothes, Latifia says, I'm, I'm finished, Latifia, those pants won't fit. Okay. Gotta go back to and dig through more. Alex, you ready? Um, the, the, uh, these pants don't fit. Why? Sundays, right? And I might not be the only one. You might have your getting up Sunday morning feelings and, and, and experiences. Why do you persist? Why do you waste your time in Orangeburg? When I told one of my friends I'm moving to Orangeburg, they were like, why? I'm like, wow. Wow. Why there? There's nothing happening there. Why move to a place where everybody's at? Go to Atlanta, man. Go back to Charlotte. Go to New York. Man, even hit up Charleston. Orangeburg? What they known for? One dude was like, when I was in seminary class, I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I do college ministry at Southern State. He's like, what's that? Is that a, is that a chain college? I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get mad on Zoom today. But why do you keep coming to this place where it seems like it's not growing, though it might be hard? But maybe the reason is you have embraced the steadfast love of God. And for those who are struggling to serve the church, I'm telling you to hang in there and stop trusting in your ability to think that you will bring change and embrace the understanding that God's steadfast love is what brings the change. That has to be the goal of why we come here. The goal, the goal just, just can't be numbers, just more events, just more songs, just more programmatic things. The goal has to be that these things that we do, we do them so others can see God's steadfast love so that they can be saved. So that they can be saved. That means we give up a part of us for them so that they can come to know Jesus. That's the goal. We don't, wanna, we don't like talking like that. The goal is Jesus. People are like, I'm ready to go to heaven. Yeah, but what's the point of going to heaven if God ain't there? You gotta go to heaven to see God. The point is God, his salvation, his redemption. That's the point. And we have to embrace the steadfast love of God and we want others to embrace it too. Let's go to our next point. Let others embrace God's steadfast love. We're going to look at the same verse, Exodus 30, 34, 6 to 7. There's something here. Let, we're going back here and looking at it again. And we need to understand something, that Moses interceded for Israel and God didn't consume them. We know that, right? 
They were consumed by his steadfast love. We know that, but there is something else that we need to see here. Part of embracing God's love is being able to stand in the gap for them. Moses stood in the gap for Israel in hopes that they would be saved, that Israel would reciprocate to God through worship by embracing his steadfast love. Let me give you an example. Go to this illustration. Like I said, there's, there's never, there was never a dull moment in Baltimore. <laughs> but this is a great story. Latifi and I were there doing the Freddie Gray riots of 2014, right smack dab in the middle of it. And what is usually associated with riots is looting and vandalism. Doesn't matter who's doing it. Right before the riots, there were literally groups and groups of teenagers gathering with the intention of rioting and vandalism. Me and Latifi were literally at the, the, the beginning of the riot seeing students going from school and going to ready to vandalize. It was, it was very surreal. It was like a movie, right? It was weird. But among the crowd of teens was a mother named Toya Graham, who was arguing and disciplining her son, Michael Singleton, who, was, who she was trying to stop him from vandalism. Michael had his hood on, he had his bag, he was all in black, he was ready to go destroy the target. Because where they were was near target. He was ready to go over there and vandalize it. And it was so huge, it caught the attention of news cameras. She told the news that she didn't want her son to be another Freddie Gray victim. She said, I just wanted the message to be out that I love my son, and I knew he knew better than what he got himself involved in. During that time, Michael Singleton became an advocate for anti-violence and mentorship. Because of Miss Graham's intercession, she was able to save her son from arrest, tear gas, or worse, being killed. Over 235 people were arrested. And out of that 234 were teens that have records now. She hoped that through her actions, of her love that Michael would change. And she didn't care how she looked grabbing and tugging at her son. People, people putting, were putting her down. You're embarrassing your son. Why would you hit him in public? Why would, they were angry with her. She got a lot of flack for it, a lot of it, for loving her son. Out there grabbing, and if Alex was out there, oh, I'd be, I wouldn't be on the news, I'd be on America's Most Wanted because he would be dead. And they got mad at her for loving her son. She didn't care how she looked. She wanted to stand in the gap. What about us? This is what discipleship is all about. Standing in the place by serving, praying, singing, teaching. Teaching others so that God might save them.
Go back to 1 Peter 4, 8. I skipped the scripture. I want to, this is good. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love does what? Cover a multitude of sins. This mother covered a multitude of sins that could have happened by standing in the gap. We embrace, we want those to, to, to embrace his steadfast love so that they can, so that a multitude of sins could be forgiven. That's why I love Exodus 34, I think, verse 7, because God's love covers thousands of generations. His love, his steadfast love does that, guys. We have to turn our gender that we might have in our hearts sometimes when it's time to disciple, when it's time to serve, when it's time to create, when it's time to come up with ideas, when it's time to do things, we have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, reject, take away my agenda. And turn and ask us to get, say, Lord, turn our agenda to your agenda that, is, that gives us the ability so that others, so that others' sins can be covered. And this is what we want, right? So that's why as disciples and leading people to Christ, we have to stand in the gap. And that's hard. And because the, because the only reason we're able to do that is because Jesus, Jesus was the greatest one who stood in the gap for humanity. That's the only way you're able to do it. Exodus 32 to 34 is a reflection of what Jesus did thousands of years later. It was Jesus who defined steadfast love because he is love. It was Jesus who embraced you because of his steadfast love when he didn't have to. And he gave his life to others by exercising his steadfast love so that you, me, and others wouldn't have to know death but, it, but instead, we got steadfast love that could save, preserve, and change us for the purpose of God's redemption, the redemption of all things. That is our goal when it comes to discipleship, that those people who we talk to, who might reject you, who ain't like you, who might hate you, who might take your money, we're saying, that the steadfast love of God is greater than what I think should happen or how I think things should go. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep pushing. Not because it makes me look good, but because just maybe, maybe like the Israelites, God might step in and say, I will save them. I will. So keep praying. Let me, I got to say this. God didn't have to do it. Who is Moses to step in for God? He's nobody. But if, is what is, Moses was able to do it because it's what he knew about God. He knew he was steadfast love. If we truly believe that, then we can stand into the gap. We're able to do that. So that morning, and this, I'm talking to me too, when we wake up, oh my gosh, when we're ready to serve, oh Lord, man, it's aggravating. We have to pray. Lord, help me to stand into the gap so that maybe somebody might come to know you 
instead of dying in sin. I'm going to say this and I'm going to go. I had many programs in Baltimore. The best one was Video Game Club. And Deontay was one student who was, at the time, 13, 14 years old, a teacher taught him. And every time he lost a video game, he would always say, man, they scamming, man, they scamming. He would always say that. And so one day, we left, we went to Charlotte. Deontay, 18 years old, shot in the head, dead, left on the ground overnight, in the middle of the projects, dead. Another student lived right next door to me. Corey, 14 years old, when he turned 21, shot dead. One student named Camonte, who we loved, loved so much, decided to sell drugs. He was part of our game club, but he couldn't come back no more because he was a liability and he brought danger. And why do I say this? I say this because there were times that I didn't think about their sin. I just thought about my program. I just thought about how it might make me look. I just wanted to play video games. I didn't even think about their lives. I don't even know till this day if Deontay knew the Lord. I don't know. <laughs> and I can't put him in hell or heaven. I don't know what happened. But I know now that if I serve and give and disciple, it needs to be so that they can come and know the Lord. There was nothing more important. There was nothing more important because Jesus himself gave his life for me and you. And he rose again from the dead for you and me so that we can have the ability to do the work that God has told us to do by making disciples who will do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for interfering with your agenda by, with our own agenda, what we think needs to happen or how we think needs to go, Lord. Help us, Lord, to turn our hearts towards your steadfast love. Help us, Lord, to, as a church, to grow because we want people to come to know the Lord. We don't want to be burnt out because of what we're doing, but we would rather be burnt out with the understanding that maybe somebody might come to know you, Lord. Be with us, guide us, strengthen us, send your Holy Spirit upon us every day as we meet people, as we serve, as we, as we part of Bible studies, and as we're on the college campuses, Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to grow because we want those people who are here to, to, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with you, Lord. And so that when we look back, we can say, look what God is doing. Look what God has done. In the name of the Lord, I pray and I thank you. Amen.